Okay, ready? Take what you know and it's about a time when you get yourself in we are. I want to know something she's I'll think about everyone you need. I'm holding it. Things are real now. I have a senior warning you. Hey. The tour ratio. Okay, though. The tour ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> Can you talk about how your experience as a musician has been able to feed your talent or your style as an interviewer? You know, I still don't think of myself as a journalist. I think of what I do on Song Exploder is very different from what you do and from what, you know, proper journalists and, and writers and critics do. I think what I'm doing on, on Song Exploder really is, like you said, it, it comes out of my experience making music and then trying to translate sort of the way that I think about music when I'm making it to someone else's experience of what they were going through when they when they were making it. Because I always was a little bit sad about how much of a disconnect there was between the experience of the person who created the song and what they got to learn and change and overcome technically, creatively, in order to make the song. And, and, you know, at a very basic level, just being able to hear all the parts of the song by themselves. Those were experiences that were really left out for even the most ardent fan. It always changes the way that I hear someone else's music when I do get that experience. And I know that, you know, the way that I'm thinking about a song is, is with a level of scrutiny and detail that's ultimately going to be lost in the final product just because you know there's just no way when you when you have a song that's a left and right stereo channel and everything's sort of compressed you don't get to have the kind of expanded view that the artist gets to have so i just wanted to create a canvas for those artists to be able to share their experience and, and ideas Rishikesh Hirway is an amazing podcaster and music creator and so much more. He's a man of ambition, a man of great taste, a man of great intelligence. He is the man behind Song Exploder, one of the great podcasts, which is also a Netflix television show. And he's also making his own music. Music has been central to how he expresses himself for a long time. Song Exploder came out of his life as a musician. And he's getting back into making music more now. And it was so exciting to talk to him. Let's get it. It's Rishikesh Hirway, my man, on Tour A Show. In looking up the details of your life, it does seem that it's going pretty perfectly. <laughs> like great career the career is crushing it the family everything is going your way what's that like uh it's um doesn't feel that way it, it, it feels like I, i've i'm on you know i'm on the wrong side of a of a of a dream gone wrong um but, <laughs> don't think so um but thank thank you i you know and i certainly never take for granted the idea that somebody knows how to pronounce my name um, which I imagine is something you've had to deal with too. Well, a hundred percent. I mean, at least for me, it's a subtle difference mm -hmm. of, of what I get. And so sometimes when I'm correcting people, they cannot hear the difference between what I'm saying and what they're saying. Yeah. So then you kind of have to give up and there's, there's a certain, there's certain, there's, there's certain pronunciations that I will accept. Yeah. And, which ones, we, what, what's wrong that's acceptable? What's wrong that's acceptable? I, I see, I don't even want to dignify them and tell them <laughs> this is okay. I mean, like, you know, I try to like tell them like it's long short. It's Torre. Right? Yeah. It's not it's not short long, right? Which some people will do, and you can't you cannot tell them that they're doing it wrong. They just cannot hear the difference. Um I imagine a lot of people like look at your name on a page and they're like, I don't even yeah. know what to do with these. Yeah, letters. they just throw their hands up in the air. 
<laughs> so you got that a lot in school, right? You went to Exeter, great, you yeah. know, one of the great, high, maybe the greatest high school in America, which is also, right? I went to Milton Academy, so I know oh, yes. oh, yeah. something of what the Exeter experience is like, but, you know, Exeter's, you know, it's the greatest school in the country <laughs> or whatever. Um, um, but I remember, you know, the, that first day, you know, when the, oh, Robert, Jill, Eddie, Oh, I don't even know how to pronounce this name. And, <laughs> right. your, and your name probably really threw them off. Yeah, you know, uh, I think the nice thing was there were a lot of international students at Exeter, okay. so there there were there were a lot of. Uh, it was a much less homogenous experience. I mean, it was absolutely the opposite of a homogenous experience, um, which I wasn't expecting. And so, uh, so you know, everybody there, including some of the faculty, everybody had had names from all over the world. Okay. God, you know, Eddie Perry, do you even know this name, Edmund Perry? He was a student a few years above me, who I believe he, I'm pretty sure he went to Exeter, who um, was like from the hood in New York, crushed it at Exeter, you know, became this amazing person. Everyone was loving him. And then, and like, I think he got a full ride to Stanford, if if memory serves. And like three days after graduation, he was he was al- shot. He was allegedly mugging somebody, which right. nobody believed, and shot and killed. And yeah. Robert Sam Anson wrote a whole book about that. Was like super because it was like here's the black or person of color experience at these schools. This is part of what this is like, um, and. Uh, so that was really important. Yes, um, no, that, that was uh, that was. I remember people talking about that at school. It was before my time, but but I feel feel like the shadow of it was still lingering. Mm. So uh, let's dive into it because your life is very much revolving around music. You're making it. You know, one of your central projects is talking about it in a really interesting and granular way. What do you love about music? You're in two bands, you know, right? You got all this work about music. What do you love about music? I think it's a way to give a container to some feelings that otherwise uh I don't know how to shape or articulate. There are feelings that I that I have and there are feelings that I get f- from the world and I want to bottle them up in some way. And I think music lets me do that in a way that no other form of expression can. Mm. You know, there's a certain feeling you get from even just, you know, you're playing a chord and then you add another note underneath it or you add another couple notes above it and suddenly your heart and your brain connect, your heart and your brain connect and, I don't know, blossom in, in response to it in a way that is particular to music. When you do your work, do you start with melody do you start with rhythm for my own songs you know they they can start a few different ways usually um i can write music sort of all the time i'm constantly coming up with musical ideas but that doesn't count as a song for me um you, you know there needs to be some conceptual framework for it i think for it to be a song and so uh i would say the actual song part of it starts with some kind of lyric or I, lyrical idea. And then I can maybe go back and say, oh, here's some music that I wrote that matches up with this this idea. Um, but sort of all of the music that I write, apart from that, it, they just feel more like, it feels a little bit more like an exercise or, or you know, um, riffing, uh, which is wonderful and um, valuable, but it's really only once I have a, an idea for like what I'm trying to actually say in the song that it starts to feel like I'm actually writing a song. Because a lot of, I mean, when you talk about what you want to say, does that mean I have a lyrical point of view of where I'm going? Or can that just be like a sonic point of view? I wanted to make a song that, you know, was in this key and was exploring this musical idea that's apart from the lyrical ideas. Yeah, I can't do that. the, the former thing that you're talking about. I can't just, I can't... Um, say hey we're gonna we're gonna be in this key we're gonna do it in this style and then i'm gonna make a song out of that it really i can do that and and um work on some music but again it's not not necessarily going to ever turn into a song i really need to have um some kind of 
it doesn't even have to be a point of view or like a thesis. It might just be like a phrase that I find compelling that I want to explore. And I want to say, oh, what's the next line after that line? That's when it gets to be, um, that's when, you know, the, the music provides context for that. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to tell you a little bit more about this, but I could listen to you talk all day because the voice is awesome and <laughs> soothing. And like, this is like, like the voice I need for like the, the meditation leader, right? Who's going to like <laughs> keep it. But also, you know, you, 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 I can tell partly you sound great because of the equipment. What mic are you using? Just so we can let folks know what mic they should be using if they want to sound great. <laughs> uh, I'm on a Rode NT1 right now. All right, so that that that's that's the one, you guys. If you want to sound great, but as a musician, <laughs> as an experience, you know, one of the one of the limitations that I have had as a music journalist is that I don't play. You know, my mom wanted me to learn the piano. I, I learned a little bit. I learned a couple of songs, but I don't play. So I'm I'm definitely more talking about socioeconomic things, sociopolitical things with artists. You know, the nature of being an artist. But you, I think the nature of Song Exploder comes from a musician uh, being the interviewer because I have been inside songs so I can ask you questions that elicit what Song Exploder has become. Can you talk about how your experience as a musician has been able to feed your talent or your style as an interviewer? You know, I still don't think of myself as a journalist. I think of what I do on Song Exploder is very different from what you do and from what, you know, proper journalists and, and writers and critics do. Um, I think what I'm doing on, on Song Exploder really is, like you said, it, it comes out of my experience making music and then trying to translate sort of the way that I think about music when I'm making it um, to someone else's experience of what they were going through when they, when they were making it. Um, because I always was a little bit sad about how much of a disconnect there was between the experience of the person who created the song and what they got to learn and change and overcome technically, creatively in order to make the song. And, and you know, at a very basic level, just being able to hear all the parts of the song by themselves. Um, those were experiences that were really left out for even the most ardent fan. They don't necessarily, you know, sometimes there you can find stems floating around. You can find the isolated acapella of like a Marvin Gaye track, and it's amazing. Yeah. But it isn't standard issue or anything like that. Um, but it's it always changes the way that I hear someone else's music when I do get that experience. And I know that, you know, the way that I'm thinking about a song is is with a level of scrutiny and detail that's ultimately going to be lost in the final product just because you know, there's just no way when you, when you have a song that's a left and right stereo channel and everything's sort of compressed, you don't get to have the kind of um, expanded view that the artist gets to have. So I just wanted to create a canvas for those artists to be able to share their experience and, and ideas. It is absolutely journalistic what you're doing um, because you are, it, 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 there's reporting there is a deep inquiry into, hey, you know, creator, what did you do here? And, you know, it, one of the things that, that, that I felt was a limitation of what I was doing at Rolling Stone and these other places was we were not really supposed to ask them about the music, you know. And if I asked them things that were almost musicological, that would uh, inevitably get cut out of the piece. We were asked to describe the music, which was very hard to do. Uh, beyond like putting it in a genre and putting it in a context, but um, we weren't we we was it was about asking about your life, you know, rather than asking about the music. But I felt like it's super important and valuable to ask musicians about creating the music. I know some of the ones that I've listened to um, really opened my eyes in terms of the artist talking about the physical place where they recorded it had an impact on what happens. 
I was in, you know, a, a, a trailer, you know, or a studio. And that led to X, Y, Z. And I'm like, that is so fascinating that the sound of the physical place becomes so much a part of the recording. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things um, is when those, those details come out. And that's the thing that I'm, I'm always going for. You know, as a consumer of music journalism, I often found myself frustrated. It's interesting to learn that you were given those parameters because I would get frustrated um, because I think I would go to go into those interviews looking for some concrete lessons for me to like apply to my practice. And instead they would be, you know, really um, big picture questions about an album and, uh, you know, like you said, socio sociological questions, cultural questions. And, um, and, and I was like, no, tell me how you got that drum sound because that, that I felt that, and I want to be able to figure out how to do my version of that or something like that. And I could never get, um, yeah, I could never get the, those kind of granular insights that I wanted. And, and I was like, well, you know, I don't really, I suppose it's interesting what you think about the state of this thing, but I, I just want some, I just, I just need, um, you know, a, a seminar course with you <laughs> for a second. Just sit down. That's part of why I thought that Stanley Crouch and Greg Tate in particular were extraordinary uh, journalists because they were players. And so they could ask and they could perceive the music in a way that I could not. And they could talk to the artists in a way that I could not. That drum sound question, Crouch would complete. Now, whether or not it gets into a Rolling Stone, because we might deconstruct your lyrics and what you're saying lyrically, but, you know, how'd you get that drum sound? Like, uh, you know, we're probably not going to go down that road. Um, <laughs> yeah, there and- things- go ahead, go ahead. Well, you know, sometimes the answer to the question is not very interesting. Um, right. And in Song Exploder, if it's not a very interesting answer, I just leave that part out. But sometimes you get an answer that leads you to something really interesting and insightful about about the artist. And one of the things that I realized as I started doing the show was that um, I started thinking originally that these were stories about a song, that these were sort of a... Um, a portrait of a song. And then I later realized that actually, no, they were a portrait of an artist. And the song was just the lens that you look through to get that particular look, you know, it's the keyhole, the shape of the keyhole. Um, And so once I discovered that, I realized, okay, what I'm looking for is actually, it doesn't just matter whether you, how you got the drum sound. It's what does it tell me about who you are um, Mm -hmm. in the answer to that question? We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids, and everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real, so I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. 
Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth I. Elizabeth I, the podcast, wherever you listen. So to what you were driving at in terms of what you were frustrated about with music journalism and what you are able to bring out in Song Exploder, what have you learned in having these conversations that you have been able to take into your practice that's been able to inform you as a musician? I think the biggest thing uh, that's changed for me is my sense around collaboration. You know, Song Exploder started for me kind of in a period where I was um, deep in writer's block. Um, I didn't know what was going to happen. I'd put out four albums at that point and had been, you know, kind of single-minded in my pursuit of being a, being a musician. And I was working full-time and touring and, and making records, but, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't an unqualified success. You know, I was sort of, um, the middle class of musicians was kind of rapidly deteriorating and, um, I didn't know really what was going to happen. And I was also just sort of a little bit frustrated. So for the first time I thought, let me try something else while I'm contemplating these existential questions about my own music career. Let me think about another idea I had. And Song Exploder had been this idea that had been kicking around for a while. And I started doing it. Um, and what was the initial the conception? Thing, you said that it had been kicking around for a while. Yeah. The original conception was just basically an audio, an audio show where people could do show and tell of behind their, their songs where someone could play the isolated stems or I could play their isolated stems while they talked about what it was that you were hearing, like what went into it, what were the musical ideas, what were the lyrical ideas, what were the technical ideas, what were the creative ideas that led to, hey, this is what this piano part sounds like if you strip everything else away. And now we'll do that for every part of the track and you can hear what all these little granular moments um, were born out of. Sometimes it's an accident or whatever. And then, uh, because that those kinds of interviews didn't really happen, and, and they certainly didn't happen in a context where you could say, this is what I was thinking about, and now here, you can hear the result of that. Um, but, you, but you were saying what you learned in terms of collaboration. Oh, right. Yeah. So one of the things that kept coming up in the show is all the different ways that people would collaborate. I, I'd been in a band before, so I knew about people getting together and playing in, in that way. Um, for sure. But I had always produced my own music. Um, and I wrote all the parts, things like that. Listening to how artists wrote with other artists, you know, like co-writing sessions, it's a really common thing in the music industry, but one that was pretty far removed from, from my own life. Um, or the way that artists and producers would collaborate. These became so um, fundamental to so many songs that I loved, and I could really hear how how that could work. And also, more importantly, I think f from a selfish perspective, how that collaboration could exist and still feel like it was the work of an artist. You know, that it wasn't that like the artist's identity wasn't being diluted by virtue of the fact that they had worked with somebody else. Um, that, that that who they were was still indelibly imprinted in in the final work that kind of opened the door for me uh to think about collaboration 
um, of my own. Although I have to say, you know, the way that Song Exploder really helped was much more indirect than that. Um, because I still, even though I was thinking about those things, I never wrote any music for, for, for like five years after I started the show because I just, I didn't have time or I, I probably c- could have made time, but, um, at a certain level, I was just, uh, much more focused on making the show because I felt some responsibility to other people. And it was like an easier thing to cross off the to-do list to say, Hey, this is a thing that I have to put out. Um, I have, I may, I've committed to making episodes every two weeks. It takes me about two weeks to, to build the whole thing once the interview is done. So I'm just going to do that and do that, uh, and get that done rather than say, well, let me spend today working on a song, which maybe I won't finish, or maybe it'll be terrible, or maybe I'll spend three more days before I realize that I don't like it. You know, that, that work felt so much more, uh, amorphous that it was hard to prioritize it. And instead, and instead I always had this other thing to do that was like, well, I could work on that or I could work on this, which has concrete goals. So I, um, I basically didn't write music even as I was learning all of these things. And the way that I ended up writing music again was somebody who, who learned of me through podcasts, uh, basically asked me if I would write a song with her and we, um, and we ended up writing a song for an episode of her podcast. And then, and her name is Jenny Owen Youngs. We ended up developing a great friendship and um, songwriting collaboration relationship. And now we've written a bunch of songs together for me, for, for my own, um, you know, for my own career, I guess. And, you know, the first one of those just came out a, a couple of weeks ago, but that's the first song that I put out in 10 years. Wow. What, so how, how does that feel to get back to creating and releasing? It feels good. I, I think, uh, you know, I was, even though I had this sort of pragmatic reason for why I wasn't putting out music and, you know, I was attending to these other things instead because of song exploder and the other podcasts and, you know, the Netflix show, the other commitments that I had, I was always busy, but, um, at some core level, making music is who I am. Writing songs is the way that I have always wanted to express myself the most. And it's just been a very long time since I've done that. So it feels like I, I kind of recommitted to some part of my identity that, that had been neglected for a long time. You're reminding me of why I, I always felt like for creative people, if you have a plan B, you're fucked. You will take <laughs> that plan B, right? You have to be like, yeah. all I can do is write or sing or paint I know nothing else. And when when money gets thin and the road gets hard, I'm going to continue doing this because there is nothing else for me. If you can fall back on architecture or accounting or whatever it is, you will fall back on it. And you, you know, and like you had this great creative project in terms of song exploder, but you allowed that to become your life and the musician in you had to take a back seat. If you had not had Song Exploder and you were like, I'm going to make music. I don't really care. This is what it is. Then like you would have, you, you know, if you hadn't had the plan B, you would have kept on making music. Yeah. And that's basically where I was for the first, you know, several years out of school. I, I moved to LA and that was it. I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do whatever I have to do. I think I got, um, I, and I kind of lost, I lost a little bit of that when after 10 years basically of the friction of trying to go uphill, you know, it's such an uphill climb and, um, and I just got tired, I think. And I did have this idea of like, well, I, I could try this instead. You're right. If, if I didn't, um, I would have, I probably would have just kept grinding, but I also think I probably would have burnt out. Are your, excuse me for not knowing this, but are your parents immigrants or are they born here? No, they're immigrants. So, okay. They get you into, the best high school in America, which leads to you going to, you know, the first or second best college in America, Yale. And then you're like, okay, guys, I'm going to go make music in LA, <laughs> which is not the immigrant dream, right? I'm sure at some level they were like, maybe he'll be a doctor. Maybe he'll be a lawyer. It'll all work out. Like, 
were they like, sure, Rishi Cash, go for it. Be a musician. Were they like, what? <laughs> this is not what we did all this for. Yeah, it was definitely more of the latter. They, <laughs> you know, they were very supportive of my music as a hobby, as a pursuit, as a side thing. Um, they were like, that's, that's wonderful. Um, but it was just so foreign to them. I mean, we didn't know anybody who was a professional musician. You know, even when I decided that I was going to do it, I didn't know anybody who did it yet. Um, so that was pretty scary for, for me and for them, but it was exciting for me and for them. I think it was just scary. You know, they, they were just wondering like, how are we going to, how is he going to survive from, from day to day, let alone like the questions of, oh, has he squandered all of this potential and all of this investment that, you know, we've, we've put into his, you know, it was not an easy thing for my parents to, to send me to those schools. It was, it was really, uh, tough for them financially, but that wasn't the, it was really, they were just concerned. I think, um, you know, what does it mean? What, what, is there even a future here? Thankfully they let you do it. I mean, like the, you know, they, they could have said, no, we have to have something more substantive. You know, they, I didn't have that kind of a relationship with my parents where, um, where they would say no and I would listen. <laughs> like they, <laughs> <laughs> and after a certain point, they stopped saying no. They would say, this is what we think. And I, and they knew that I would say, okay, I've heard you. And I'm, I've, you have to trust me that I've metabolized all of that, but I'm still going to do this other thing that's count, counter, contrary to your wishes. Wow. Um, but now they, now they see it. I mean, are, are they, are they, are they understanding of where you are now? Do they, do they, do they like and, and appreciate the work that you're doing now? Yeah. You know, um, so my mom sadly passed away, uh, last year and oh, I'm sorry to hear that. she was the person. Yeah. She, and this, the song of mine that just came out is about that. And I keep thinking about now that it's been out, it's been out for one week now. And, um, and it's, it's strange. It feels like a new experience, even though I've been through it before, it, it still feels like a new experience in, in some ways to like have a song out in the world again. And, um, and it's about my mom's death. Um, but I keep thinking about like how much the person who would have appreciated this moment the most is, is her, you know, she really, um, she, despite all the concerns the financial fears and, you know, sort of the pragmatic immigrant worries, um, she really did love my music, I, I felt. Um, and, you know, there were several years when I wasn't making songs, but I was still making music where I was scoring um, scoring projects. I would do some films and TV and things like that. And, um, you know, there were a lot of work and I would sometimes share them with my, my family. And my mom was always like, this is really nice, but when are you going to sing again? You know, she, oh, wow. she like, she was a fan of, the songs and um i don't know if that's the reason why i felt like an instrumental thing that i would write wasn't as legitimate as something that had lyrics but she she was a fan of singing she was a wonderful singer herself and she liked it when i sang and so um this is the first song where i'm like hey it's me i'm singing again um but of course the song th the fact of me putting out music again wouldn't have really happened if she hadn't passed away because that's what this song is about it's a it's a spiral of irony what was her name? Her name was Kanta. Was her passing a shock to you, or did you see it coming? Um, a little bit of both. She, her health had been in decline for for many years. Um, she, she had a, a degenerative neurological condition um, that took a long time to diagnose. Um, it was only diagnosed in 2019, but we had seen the, you know, the consequences of it for years before that. Um, and we'd been trying to figure it out. So once we got the diagnosis of what she had, which is, it's, uh, it's called PSP or, um, progressive supranuclear palsy. And, um, once we got that diagnosis, you know, we started to understand what it was. It's, it's pretty rare. Um, but basically we knew that um, it itself wasn't fatal, but it could cause complications um, that that a lot of people basically 
died from secondary reasons due to having PSP. Um, so when she passed away, it was, it was a shock in that she was fine earlier that day. Um, but, um, but it wasn't a shock in that we had been living with her having this condition for many years. Um, yeah, my dad passed, I think it's been three years now. And there was uh, similar to what you're describing a long, slow cognitive decline and like, Mm -hmm near the end and at the end his body was pretty much fine but the the mind was and he could hear you but the, he couldn't really speak and the mind was sort of like going and and you know it was almost like he's becoming you know younger and younger um you know which was super hard to watch um you know natural you know so so in the final day um it wasn't a shock I think I saw him on Friday and then he passed on Monday and is like on Friday I was like his he's not here anymore. Like he's lying there but he's not in this body anymore. He could no longer communicate. And I'm like I, I don't even, you know, I'm partly I was like I felt guilty but I was like I don't even know why I come here anymore cuz he's not here. He doesn't mm-hmm. know I'm here and he's not here so why am I even coming here anymore? And uh you know, it was just a couple more days um and it 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 definitely marks a chapter in your life right i mean like you're like you 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 change when that happens to you yeah yeah in some ways when she passed away i thought in a very strange way i was almost grateful for having had that experience because i got to grieve in a slow progression myself um because she slowly was uh, receding from the person that she had been but I got to still be with her, and I still got to talk to her in those those moments over those years. Um, so when she was gone, it was it was more like a light fading out than one turning off. Um, and then after she after she was gone, you know, then I had this sort of different process with my grief that um, ended up, you know, coming out in in the music that I was doing instead. Yeah, the light fading off sounds like um, my experience with my father. Let me let me refocus us back on music because uh, you have you made me think about my personal experience listening to uh, the life of Pablo Kanye's album. That was the album where he kept tweaking it that first yeah. week or two that it was out, and I really liked it at first. And there were things yeah. that I liked less as he made small tweaks. And it really pointed out to me that experience of listening to him sort of just tinker with it in right in front of us, just how subtle the difference between a song that I love and a song that I don't like is, <laughs> and how small, small things will make the difference. And you guys are, you know, musicians are trying to get, you know, like 10,000, 100,000, a million people to like something and like, you know, just, just, just a slight movement of some piece or an addition or a subtraction can make all the difference. Yeah. It's funny how much the, there's a battle between instinct and, and then, you know, the instinct to tinker, (laughs) you know, there's your first instincts uh, uh, to create and, um, and then these instincts to second guess what, what you did. And it was fascinating to watch somebody second guess their creative work in real time on such a public stage. I mean, I would, I would kind of like to see more people do that. Although I wonder if, if I had just received the la- the end version, I've been like, okay, I accept this. I like this, but seeing you tweak it and mess with it. I'm like, Oh, now you've, now, you know, I don't like 3.0. I liked 1.0. Um, <laughs> Oh no. Yeah. One of my favorite things on Song Exploder is getting to hear early versions of things and also especially abandoned versions of things. Mm-hmm. Um because you know the the fact that we're doing an episode about the show, uh, we're doing an episode about the song means that the song came out and it was the artist has had a big enough career that it was on my radar and it ended up being in, in the podcast. Essentially, it's a success story. Um, so you know, 
What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Kind of already know the ending. So it's really exciting for me on a storytelling level when you get to hear all the different ways where it could have been a failure or it could have been something else or it could have been, you know, a, a, this idea that got um, changed or adapted. You know, you get to see like, oh, it wasn't inevitable, the success story. There were lots and lots of potential dead ends um, or, or different endings for this. Are you picking songs and going to the team and saying, hey, I want to do a, a, a show about X song? Are you going to the team and saying, what song are you willing to unpack with me? Um, I can tell you about a conversation that I've, I'm having right now um, with an artist about about being on the show or rather so her her publicist reached out and said would you want to do an episode and and uh and i said yes definitely um and they're like the only thing we don't want to do are you you getting more incoming than like reaching out like are people saying we want to do a song exploder you're getting a lot of that i generally now get um i generally now do my episodes based on uh a sort of coinciding like there's i'm always listening to music and so that i have kind of a list of things that i would like to do but i kind of needs the incoming um inquiry to line up with that because i find it's just too hard to to cold call someone and say hey will you be on the show um they people just if they aren't ready if they're not you know mus- musicians are really uh, tied to their sort of like these very specific promotional cycles. I'm sure you've experienced this where, you know, someone will say, Hey, do you want to do an interview? They're available from these three hours on this one day. And that's it. No other time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's just too hard. I'll be like, this is, I have, I, I have so much interest in this. I think that we could have a great conversation. Um, I think it would be really great. It doesn't matter. It, you can't even get past the gatekeepers of the publicist or the manager or the label, whatever, um, because they're saying, well, they're just, they're, that's not what they're doing right now. They're not doing interviews. So I kind of wait for the, for the pitch to come in to me and have it line up with something that I'm already excited about. So you were saying you were, you were talking to uh, 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 the the team of a, of a female artist. Yeah, and and they said you know they suggested a couple of songs. They were like, we don't want to do the single, but th- that's already been out. We want to do look look forward. And I was like, okay. Um, and they they were like, how about this song? We think this will be the next single. And I was like, yeah, it's, I don't think that it's going to be right musically for the show, and I didn't think that it was going to be right lyrically. Like it was very, very, very metaphorical and um and felt kind of distant and um and so i always go back and i say can you ask the artist or if i get to talk to the artist directly you know i say what's the song that you feel the most personally attached to that you feel connected to the backstory in this really intimate way i'm not going to be able to get that even from a deep reading of the lyrics you know because there might be 
things out, you know, off screen that are happening um, that are really meaningful to you. Uh, and this will be the chance to talk about them. Um, but you have to tell me, like, what are the ones? What What's the one or two or three songs that sort of qualify? And then they might send me options. And then from that, I can say, okay, I think this should be the one that that we'll do. So you can't do it on just any song? I mean, I imagine you could apply this method to any record. You could. I think you, for sure you could do an episode on any song. But I think the the episodes that I find the most interesting and um, satisfying to make are the ones where, like I said earlier, you know, I can have a rich portrait of the artist through the song. So um, some songs don't have really interesting stories. Some right. huge hits that people love don't necessarily have an interesting story. Um, and one thing that I that I'm interested in, this might, you know, not always be so satisfying to the listeners, um, but I think the show is about the story. Um, if it happens to be the story about a song that's that they know and love, great. But there are plenty of songs that are very popular that many people have never heard. So you, you kind of can't count on the idea that, like, everybody's going to know it. If a lot of people know it, that's great. But... Um, I'd rather hear the one that has the most interesting story. So someone who can, who's never listened to the podcast before, who's never heard of the artist before can put it on and be like, well, this was an interesting way to think about how someone's brain works for 20 minutes. You know, they started with nothing and they end with this song. And we talked about how uh, they got there. And really it's about um, taking pieces of their life and translating it into musical ideas, and then hearing those pieces one by one slowly coalesce. Who's on the wish list that you wish to do an episode with that you haven't gotten to yet? I mean, Kanye would certainly be on the list. Of course. Um, I don't know how that would go, <laughs> um, but I think he's... I think he's brilliant and uh and fascinating and um and just so important, you know. Um Radiohead would has been on my list for a long time too. Uh yeah. There are so many. Flying Lotus um is another person who I'd love to have on the show. Um I, basically this is what I do all day is I just sit around and taking a shower and I'm just thinking about like, you know who else would be great? <laughs> and the list is just infinite. But you're waiting for them to call you. Well, some of these people cause, I have tried. Because <laughs> Flying Lotus, you could get. I can't. I've tried. Um, he's an artist. You know, not every artist wants to talk about their music in this way. Um, some people are are just not really willing to either talk about their process or expose the sort of the um, different layers of their song in that way. You know, um, Prince was somebody who who was not into that idea, um, who was very protective about his sort of uh, his um, work materials. You know, um, some some artists are just uh, are, aren't into it, and I respect that, and that's that's fine. Um, so yeah, there are a few people um, who I've tried, you know, many on multiple occasions. Fortet, you know, people who are some of my favorites, um, who just. It's just not for them. Kanye is an interesting example because I think a lot of people feel, and they may be right, that he is very much a creation of a committee. There are other people writing a lot of those lyrics. There are other people making the beats. And I'm sure that he gets the beat and he gets the lyric and he, you know, he zhuzhes it up, he Kanye's it up. But, you know, a lot of the really successful ones, people are like, I went in the studio and I made this beat and then I added this and then I added this and then I added this and I was thinking about this. And, you know, for somebody who's kind of handed a lot of pieces, um, that would be, that's an entirely different relationship. You know, that's one of the things that um, has really changed for me about Song Exploder. This is sort of what I was trying to say earlier about um, authorship and, and collaboration. Um, you know, what is the for sure there are there are artists in the world who are 
the result of a committee, you know, who, who an A&R person has found them and they've, you know, there, there's an A&R person and a publicist and a stylist and a label and, and, um, what they put out into the world is not necessarily so tied to something fundamental within them. I think Kanye, and I think there are other artists out there, not a lot, but I think there are other people who, he has such a specific curatorial lens um, Mm. that he sees the world through. Um, Yeah, he might be taking pieces from this person and this person, you know, he'll, he'll hear something and say, this is amazing. I want that. I'm going to get the person who did that and have them do the best version of that for me. And I'm going to take what I want from that. And I'm also going to take what I want from this. And I'm also going to take what I want from this. He's still ultimately calling the shots of what those pieces are and how sure. he's going to put them in, in his blender. And I think I need, I learned that that blender is, is also a form of artistry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think if we look at the world of visual art, the notion of of authorship or you know the 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 painter who doesn't actually touch the the canvas or doesn't do a large part of the canvas, like they 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 decided long ago that's fine. That you know, he right. he or she is still the author, is still the artist even though they have a team of people in wherever country who are painting the background or they have students who are actually putting the paint to the, but like, you know, and and musicians, I think people are a little more weird about like, uh, you know, but like, it's okay. If somebody else writes your lyrics and you deliver them, it's still yours. I think there's a way, there's some argument for uh, how postmodernism has finally, like at at a very late stage now entered popular music. Um, And before it used to be kind of uh, just something within the fringes or within like a more classical idiom. Um, but now I think Kanye is an example of somebody who's like a, yeah, postmodernist artist in, in that way that we, we can see a lot of examples in fine art. You're doing a lot of things. What do you want your future, your near future, the next few years professionally to look like? What do you want to focus on? One of the, I think the problems for me is that I don't really uh, like to focus on things. You know, like I opened that plan B door <laughs> and then it turns out there were like six other doors and um, and I just wanted to open all of them. And then I did. <laughs> and uh, And so I've gotten to be kind of like a professional dilettante in a way. Um, and I really enjoy it. It's really nice to just sort of feel like I can dip into things here and there. The thing that the main thing that was really hard about those years was that I had abandoned music. So I think for me the goal is to try and figure out a way to still be an artist myself and like and, and try and make music and express that part of who I am without having to also abandon um these things that are kind of born from just like curiosity and new ideas. Mm. So, okay. So, but there's, will, will there be more song exploders? Will there be other podcasts? Will there be more music? Will, uh, what do you want to do? I definitely want to make more music. Um, and, uh, and I have more music coming. Um, but yeah, I'd like to, make new shows. One thing that that's been really fun for me is developing new shows and, and then trying to um, just do something that is a new experience for me. I think that's the thing that like my brain kind of craves a lot is uh, just a new, a new experience. So um, having, you know, I think that's the reason why I've ended up starting so many podcasts because they're like, Oh, this seems like this could be a good idea. Let me, let me try it. And then I end up having fun doing it. And then now there's a new, new show. Um, so I, I think if I can, if I can continue to do that and scratch that itch while also continuing to make music, that would feel really nice. Are you still working with Lakeith Stanfield on that band? Or is that kind of past you a little? No, we, we, we have been texting every day for the last week about the next, next stuff that we're going to put out. Um, we, uh, 
we couldn't do music for a long time. Just, you know, his acting career was so huge. It just blew up. And, um, we, it just changed the scale of, of what was possible, um, for us. It basically meant we couldn't do what we were doing. Um, but we've stayed in touch the whole time. And, um, and mostly we've just sort of shared what we've been working on with each other. Um, but we have some, we have some new music that we're hoping to put out soon. Um, how did that develop? How did that start? That started back in 2013. Um, I was at South by Southwest with a film that I had scored and uh, I was at the, the film festival and I went to see this movie short term 12 and um, I, I went to a screening where there was a, you know, there was a Q and a afterwards with the director and the actors. And there's this scene in, in short term 12 um, where Lakeith, who I'd never seen before, I'd never seen in, in anything. It was his first feature film. Um, he, he's a kid in this, you know, in this short term foster home, uh, that's about to sort of age out of the facility. And there's a scene where he, he has written something and he, and he raps for one of the counselors there. And it was so good. It's incredible. I mean, the, the lyrics, his delivery, everything. It was amazing. Um, and I couldn't figure out how that fit into this, um, you know, very endearing kind of earnest indie South by Southwest film. So I, you know, at the Q and A, people were talking about, people were asking um, different questions, and you know, how much of this was this improvised? What was this like? And and people kept coming back to um, the director. Um, Destin Cretton, who's amazing, saying, oh, he's the great writer. It was all there in the script. He's fantastic. And then I I raised my hand and I was like, okay, but how about this scene with Lakeith? Because are you going to tell me that you wrote that too? Because that's, that seems like that's a different skill set to write this like incredibly affecting um, rap with great lyrics and great delivery. It felt so individual. Um, And and then Lakeith said, no, he just sort of, he kind of gave me the framework of like, this is what this scene is. And then I wrote that. Um, and so then afterwards, after the screening, I went up to him and I just said, do you, do, do you have other music? Do you make music? Like what is, I, I loved everything about that. And it really spoke to me. And um, would you ever consider like working with an outside producer, collaborating? What, and and um, I gave him, a CD and uh, we exchanged email addresses and then we just started talking and I sent him some music and he started writing over it. And, um, and yeah, we put, and then we put out our first song later that year and then we put out an EP the next year. It was really, it was just a really natural sort of conversation that, that evolved from, from that one day. That's a crazy story. Uh, Last thing, your superpower. What is the thing that you, feel like you do better than other folks that has led to your success because i I listen to your show i know that that's a question (laughs) that you ask and i i've been kind of scared of it because i don't i don't have one i think that the thing that i i have um is that it's it's not something that really feels good. <laughs> it's, it's more like I'm, I'm okay at a bunch of things. Um, there are the things that I do, there are people who are better at all of them than me by like a mile. Um, but I think I have, you know, like five or six, five or six things that I do pretty good and I can pick up other stuff. Um, and, and that's kind of been how I've, how I've just operated is, uh, um, yeah, being kind of, um, a dilettante professionally. Um, I think I can hold a, a sort of, I can juggle a lot of balls at once in that way. Um, I don't know if that, it's not really like, it, it's not a power that's very super. Um, but it is the thing I think that kind of drives a lot of what I do.
Thank you so much to Rishikesh for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. <laughs>